John chapter 14, reading from verse 1. As we begin the message, the greatest crime can possibly commit. The world's greatest crime. John 14, reading from verse 1. Who's here for the first time? May I see your hands? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Say that from my heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If he had known me, he should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. That's all we want, Jesus. Show us the Father. And that's enough, he said. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Look at verse 9 again. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? Let me digress briefly. What does Jesus mean by, Have I been with you so long? Christ was coming to the end of his life. If you look at John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, almost all red letters because this is Christ's, almost his final speech to his disciples before in verse 18 is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus is at the end of the three and a half years of public ministry. And in three and a half years, Jesus says, you ought to have known me intimately. Jesus almost sounds surprised. Have I been with you so long? Three and a half years. Yet today you hear Christians say, the Lord isn't done with me yet. The Lord is this. The Lord is that. That's the way I am. And that person has been walking with Jesus 40 years. We have concluded it takes God a long time to turn people around. It does not take God long to change us. It takes God long to convince us we need to be changed. Have I been so long time with you? Only three and a half years. And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Question, don't answer me. Do you know God? And do I know God? Do we know God? Remember the woman at the well, John chapter 4. She said to Jesus, I believe, verse 9, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Then Jesus said, If thou knewest the gift of God, if you knew who I was, your question would have been different. You wouldn't ask me why are we interacting. You would have asked me for living water. The problem many of us have is we simply do not know God. Now, we know the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we know the Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church, but we don't know God. Because if we knew God, some things we do now, we would never do. Some things we say, we would never say. And that's the message Jesus told that woman. If you knew the gift of God, you would never ask me what you just asked me. 
your question would be different. Do you and I know God? If we knew God, we would not treat people the way we treat them. If we knew God the way we should, we would not take this casual, lackadaisical approach to church attendance. If we knew God, we would have a serious and urgent, a sense of emergency regarding the study of God's Word. If we knew God, we would care for this body. If we knew God, we would be concerned the influence we have on the unbeliever. If we knew God. But God wants to be known. And so Jesus says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus is telling Philip that one of his duties, his responsibilities, his functions, his roles, his purposes on this earth was to reflect the Father. So, so perfectly that if you see Jesus, you see God. With respect to character, I'm suggesting, I'm not suggesting Jesus has the same nose the Father has. I, no one has seen the Father. No one has seen the Father. But what the Bible stresses is the character. The mind, the character of Jesus is the character of the Father in every detail. The mind of Jesus is the mind of the Father. Though I'm stressing now that Jesus came to reveal the Father so that anyone who looked at Jesus honestly would know exactly what the Father was like. There is no need to see the Father when you see Jesus. Now let me take one step further. There is no need to see Jesus in the flesh when you see one of his children. Let me say it again differently. When people see us, they should have no need to say, show us Jesus and it sufficeth us. Because by looking at us, they should be looking at Jesus. Are you understanding me? And I'm not watering down what I just said. By looking at us, they should be looking at Jesus. There are some people who believe that God requires of us that we come close to Christ, but we can't ever be just like Christ. Well, we can't ever be God, but we can be Christ-like. We can be godly and godlike. Higher than the highest human thoughts can reach is God's ideal for His children. Godliness, godlikeness is the goal to be reached. Godliness, godlikeness, Christ-likeness is the goal. And I've told you a few nights ago, God does not lower His standards. He provides power to lift us up to reach His standards. In First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the blood of the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Notice the description, without blemish, without spot. That's the description for Christ. Listen to the description for the church. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, Husbands, love your wives. 
even of Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The same description for Jesus is the description for his people. We cannot reflect a partial image of Jesus Christ. It confuses people. I never said we can be God. We cannot be God. Ah, but we're called by God to be godly. We're called by Christ to be Christ-like. We're called by the Spirit to be spiritual in human flesh. And the world needs to see a people in whom is reflected the character of Jesus Christ. I remember I read a story some time ago, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it makes a valuable point. This man was in a village somewhere, a little town, and um, someone came to see him. And uh, the story goes that after he talked to the man, Someone can be given Bible study. And uh, the Bible study person, the, the Christian given the study, was talking about Jesus. And the old man, white beard and sitting in his rocking chair, he said, I know Jesus. So the, the, the Christian said, what do you mean you know Jesus? You don't go to church, you, you don't pray, you don't, how do you know Jesus? The man said, he lives down the street. So the person was naturally baffled, befuddled, bamboozled, and bewildered. What do you mean Jesus lives down the street? He said, yes, I know the man you're talking about. If the man you're talking about is the man you're talking about, I know him. He lives down the street. Well, naturally, the, 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 the person's curiosity was raised to high heaven, bubbling over. He said, show me this Jesus. The old man got up, picked up his stick, and he and this person went down the street, knocked on the door, and out came an old man. And the other old man said, that's Jesus. <laughs> the lady said, how come? <laughs> well, everything you told me in this book, that's him. He is kind. He's forgiving. He's unselfish. He takes the bread out of his mouth, gives it to me. If this is Jesus, that's him. Now, he should also have said, Jesus is you. <laughs> As funny as that may sound, we have to be reflectors of the image and the glory of Jesus Christ. By glory, I mean the character of Jesus Christ. So that people say, I know Jesus. Jesus goes to medical school at Loma Linda. Jesus does public health at Loma Linda. Jesus lives in the city of Loma Linda. Now, when we fail to give that message... At what risk do we put the world? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Reading from verse 10. The world's greatest crime. Genesis 12, reading from verse 10. For public reading, if you're here for the first time, I use the King James Version. The Bible says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. 
And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now Abraham tells Sarah, uh, lie, or be creative in your explanation. And it came to pass that when Abraham was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld a woman that she was very fair. The princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abraham well, or Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and men servants, and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And verse 17, the Bible says, The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. Now, why did God plague Pharaoh's house? God didn't kill him. But he got his attention. But the plague was a precursor to destruction if he had not let Sarai go. When Pharaoh realized what was happening in his household, the Bible says in verse 18, Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this thou hast done to me? You are hurting me. You have put me at risk. You are putting my life on the line, the life of my people. Abraham, believer in the living God. Abraham, Hebrew. Abraham, father of the specially called nation. What is it thou hast done to me? When we reflect Jesus in a dim, hazy way, the world says to us, Seventh-day Adventists, what is it? that you're doing to us. We have no other source of information about who Jesus Christ is. And we look to you to show us by the life you live what Jesus is all about. And we are confused because what we hear you say differs vastly from what you do. What is this that thou hast done to me? Abraham, how do you explain sin? You can't. Well, you can say it's a sinful nature, but that doesn't wash or fly. Because no devil anywhere can make anyone sin. So the, the chapter records no response from Abraham. Perhaps with a sheepish look, Pharaoh put him out. Can you imagine the disgrace? God's people put out because of deception. Now it's one thing to be evicted because you've lifted up Jesus Christ. Peter was imprisoned. Paul was stoned. Yes, we suffer for the cause of Christ. But Peter said, let us not suffer as a thief or anyone else who has sinned. We should not suffer because we sin. We should suffer because we're faithful to Jesus Christ. And Pharaoh threw this man out. Because he deceived an unbeliever. His witness was potentially lethal. Genesis chapter 20, oh brother Abraham again. This time it's a Philistine king called Abimelech. The story begins in verse 1, we'll just go right down to verse 6. 
Where God says, yeah, I know thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. God is saying, look, I know you took the man's wife without knowing the full story. Now verse 7 says, now therefore restore the man his wife, for he's a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Abimelech, I will wipe out your entire country. Well, in verse 8, if God told you that in a dream, you wouldn't sleep much longer. The Bible says, Then Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were so afraid. Grown men. Verse 9, Genesis 20. Then Abimelech called Abraham. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Abraham's face. Then Abimelech called Abraham said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? But he goes further than Pharaoh. He says, And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? And here's the one that really must have hurt Abraham. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. There are some things, believers, we should not do to the world. And one of them is mislead the world. Even the world knows there's some things we shouldn't do. This unbeliever, this idol worshiper, this Philistine who worshipped a fish god, Dagon, looking into the eyes of a man described as a friend of God, the father of a specially called people, and telling him, you should not have done this. It is embarrassing when the world rebukes the church. What have I offended thee? Abraham, what did I do? That thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech, not yet satisfied, he must have been suffering from just intense consternation. In verse 11 he says, oh, what sawest thou? What did you see about me and my people that thou hast done this thing? What was there in me and my people that led you to be so traitorous and treacherous? Now what does a child of God say when the world issues such a stinging rebuke and the world is right? Would you like your child to confront you in the judgment? Why didn't you restrain my urges? Why did you give me everything I wanted? What have you done to me? Why did you allow me to spend half of my life in front of a television set and video games and whatever else? Why did you do that? I developed a mind with no appreciation for that which is spiritual. Now I couldn't care less about God, mother, father. What is it that thou hast done to me? When I was a little boy and I wouldn't listen to my mother, she always told me this story. Hope she doesn't see this tape. <laughs> she tells the story of a man who was in prison, a life of crime. He's in prison for life, not for life, uh, he's to be executed. And he sent for his mother. And the mother came, long tears flowing down her wrinkled face. And he said, Mother, come close to the bars. I need to tell you a secret. And the mother came close to the 
the bars of the cell where he was. And the son said, Mother, come closer. Put your ear right through the bars. The mother put her ear right through the two bars and he bit off her ear. And he said as he spat it out, If you had made me listen to you, I would not have been here. You should have insisted that I listen to your instructions, but you allowed me to do whatever I want. That's why I am here. And he had every reason to say to his mother, what is it that thou hast done to me? Young men with girlfriends, what is it that you're doing to your girlfriends? Young ladies with boyfriends, what is it that you're doing to that man who desires to be a preacher? Teachers with authority over students, you're grading the paper based on how you feel. It's not a 10 out of 10, 8 out of 9. It's what are you doing to your students? Preachers! What are you doing to your congregations? Do you have the courage, the spiritual spine to stand up and preach the truth? For the truth alone sanctifies. Or do congregations have a right to say, What is it that thou hast done to me? We have in our power to hurt people very badly. Not by the weapons that we ordinarily associate with violence but by our influence, by the hypocrisy of our lives, we say one thing, we do something else. Now Abraham had a son called Isaac, 13 minutes to 8. Genesis 26. You know, parents, if you're considering having children, you ought to watch how you behave yourself because your children will not only inherit the color of your hair, they'll inherit your attitudes. So it pays to be upright and nice if only for the sake of the offspring you're, con offspring you're considering having. Here is Abraham's son. He is facing a famine. Genesis 26 verse 1, the Bible says, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Abraham had his famine. Years later, Jacob would have his famine. There are three famines in Genesis, one for each of the three patriarchs. Now Isaac... The Lord appeared to him, verse 2, Genesis 26, and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, for I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply of the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And verse 6 says, And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now verse 7. And the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, What? She's my sister. Like father, like son. Like, like mother. Like mother. Yes, let's be fair here. And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. 
Same situation with his father in Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. Verse 8, And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that behold, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. They were playing around. He was caressing her. That was his right. Come on, say amen. <laughs> and Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. And how saidest thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. He was protecting his skin as his father was. And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us, unto me? Same question. Three times. Twice in the life of Abraham, once in the life of Isaac. The unbeliever is put in mortal danger by the treachery of the believer. One of the people might lightly have lain with thy wife, and thou shouldst have brought guiltiness upon us. Abimelech said, some man might have gone to bed with your wife, and that would have bring the wrath of your God on us. Why didn't you play straight? Brethren, we ought to play it straight, or don't play it. It's better to leave God alone, I mean severely alone than to have a half-hearted, half-stepping relationship with Him. We're told in Second Peter chapter 2, I believe it's verse 20, it were better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Or verse 21, then after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Second Peter 2 verse 21. It is better not to know than to know and go against what you and I know. And so Abimelech in Genesis 12 and Abraham, Pharaoh in Genesis 12 deceived by Abraham, Abimelech Genesis 20 deceived by Abraham, Abimelech Genesis 26 deceived by Isaac. It is a crime against the world when God's people misrepresent his character. We're talking about the world's greatest crime because God cannot come down. To represent himself, he needs us as he needed Jesus. When Jesus left, Jesus sent the Spirit to represent Him, and through us, we reflect the character of Jesus Christ. To save their skins, they compromise. There is another reason why we compromise, when we try to establish ourselves as famous and well-known, even if it means changing the way God told us to do things. Genesis 11, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, And the whole world was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for straw and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach up to heaven. And let us make us a name. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The inhabitants of the Tower of Babel, they, their intention was to make a name for themselves. Separate from the name God would have them carry. Let us make us a name. And their name was based not on character, but on the construction of two buildings. A city and a tower. Don't answer me. But hear this question. How many of us are trying to build a name based on non-spiritual foundations by a degree or a purchase 
or a relocation to a more high-priced neighborhood. They were seeking to build a name on the basis of a city and a tower, not the basis of the quality of their character. And today, Christians fall into the same trap because they're influenced by the world. That's how the world builds a name. But do you know building your name is not your business? It's six minutes to eight. Give me five more minutes, five after eight. Can you do that for me, please? Thank you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, the very next chapter. We saw in the life of Abraham and Isaac, they misrepresented God to save their own skin physically. Many of us misrepresented God because we come into conflict with how God desires us to develop a name. Genesis 12, God's message to Abraham. Reading from verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and do what? Make thy name great. Now, making my name great is God's business. Making God's name great is my business. Hmm? By the life I live. By the reflection of the character of Jesus in me, I give God a name. And God is so delighted and excited, He gives me a name. I will honor them that honor me. But we reverse it and we set out to make our own names. When a man goes contrary to God's recommendations, he comes into conflict and he clashes with God. I don't care if you pursue it at a Christian school. And so we are here seeking a name. Many young people, they'd love to go to a Christian school, but the parents say, no, you've got to go to Harvard because the, 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 the diploma has a name and that name is worth 20,000 more dollars a month. And puts your soul in jeopardy. I was talking to a young man a few years ago at a youth retreat, crying, a young lady. She said, Pastor, I know to talk to you. Well, what's the problem? I have one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and I'm about to close. I said, explain. She said, when I was in high school, my parents, and I said, are they Adventists? Yes. They pushed me to attend secular schools because secular schools have higher reputations than Adventist schools. And I wanted to go to an Adventist school and be in that environment, imperfect as it is. All right, I have one courageous person over here. <laughs> Imperfect as our schools are, I prefer to have my children in one of our schools. And she said, they insisted, I go to a school that has a name. She said, I went, I obeyed my parents. She said, from the time I set foot in that school, every belief of mine, which I barely understood, was challenged. And my faith began to crumble. And now with tears on her eyes, running down her cheeks, she said, I have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Any one of you who goes to the gym to lift weights, you know one foot is always stronger than the other. Her strong foot was in the world. And we sacrifice our children because some parents, they get their name by what their children do. Now you regret you invited me. I know it. I can see it. It's okay. Your mistake was to invite me in the first place. 
There are parents who get their name based on the accomplishments of their children. And so thinking of themselves, they push and drive their children right out of the church. And cannot understand why the child has no interest in spiritual things. Because they're seeking a name. God's work is to give us a name. Our job is to give Him a name. When we confuse the two job responsibilities, God loses and we stand in danger of being lost. The world's greatest crime is to reflect Christ in such a jaundiced way that those looking on are misled, confused, and ultimately fall. God will not allow that to pass unpunished. The greatest work on the face of the earth is preaching. And I'm not saying that because I'm here. It really is. After the work of saving people, the greatest work is talking about what Jesus does. Not only preachers do that, doctors do it. The greatest crime is to lead someone to hell. Ellen White writes, if you're not an Adventist, Ellen White is one of our best writers. Our best writer, actually. Get her books, your life will change. I love to talk about her. She said, in the judgment, many parents will be shocked to learn that what their children became is their fault. Now I take no pleasure in telling you that, particularly since I have no children. But my status as a non-father does not change what the word says. We must not mislead those who look at us. And don't waste time telling people look to Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 4 verse 20 I believe it is. He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? You can tell people, look to Jesus all you like. They cannot see Jesus. They can see you. And they can see me. Here's my question at 8 o'clock. I have five minutes left. Don't answer me. Think. When people look at us and how we behave in the classroom, in the cafeteria, Ordering food at a restaurant, how we dress, the music we listen to, how we spend our money, what we study, what we watch, our language. Are they getting the real story about Jesus? When they see our children, do they say, I would like my children to be just like those children? Do our children come home? And say, I want to be like those people out there? Or do the people out there go home and tell their parents, I want to be like that Seventh-day Adventist 12-year-old boy? Do children in the world go home and tell their parents, Mommy, I'm tired dressing this way. I want to dress like my friend who goes to the Adventist church. Or is it the reverse? The good news is, if we have been misrepresenting God, 
it can stop tonight. It can stop tonight. You see, you can fool me, and most people do fool me. I'm easily fooled. You can't fool God. And you'll fool yourself more convincingly than you fool me. We cannot fool God. I can fool you. I can't fool God. Because my life is an open book to God. And so is yours. But I'm saying to you, God holds no grudges. God forgives almost reflexively, instinctively, automatically. He just forgives. And if we are convicted in our hearts tonight by this message, we have misrepresented God, He will forgive us the moment we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Ask Him to lay on our hearts a conviction to represent Him aright. On the job, at home, at play, wherever we are, in our children, whatever we do, we want to show the world, this is Jesus. That the world has no reason to say to seventh-day Adventists, what is this that thou hast done to me? And I say tonight, Lord, if I have misrepresented you, forgive me. Forgive me. Yes, preachers misrepresent. If I have done it, and I know I have, I apologize to God. Because I don't want to continue. Anyone who will say, Father, I know in the privacy of my heart, as your Holy Spirit ripples the pool of my decency, I have misrepresented you. If you can say that with the courage that comes from the Spirit, I want you to stand up. And you're saying, I want to do it no more. I don't want to continue exerting an influence that may take people downward. I don't want it on my conscience that someone is in some rehabilitation program because of my influence. I don't want it on my conscience some young girl at 19 has three children because of my influence. I want to know some young man is in school because of my influence. Some family is in church because of my influence. A man is off drugs because of my influence. And because I have represented Christ the right, every head bowed, every eye closed. Loving Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We plead, we beg, we appeal, we urge, we importune you. Forgive us for the crime of misrepresenting you, dear God, and perhaps leading people on a downward slope to destruction. Father, if we have done this, we ask in the name of Jesus to do all you can to undo the damage we have done to friends, to family, to children, to those whom we don't know. Undo the damage, dear God, and save those whom we have hurt by our hypocritical lives. Oh, Father in heaven, open our eyes to understand that it is through us that you show the world the character of your Son. Forgive us, dear Father. Not only give us forgiveness, but give us power to live above that which we have been doing. That we receive from you tonight forgiveness and overcoming power. Hear us. Put your spirit in our hearts. Bring us back tomorrow night, we pray. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, let all God's people say with me, Amen.